control the controllables. The rest will take care of itself. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sassin behind the scenes. This quote leads us into our guest today, Joel Reinhardt. Joel is the Assistant Director of Sports Performance at UMass and is a co-host of the Sprint Jumps Throws podcast. Joel comes to us off a recommendation from a legend himself, Nick DeMarco. And today we had an awesome conversation on the everything affects everything approach to training, as well as game speed and why it's so important to train. There's a lot of little nuggets in here and a lot of it kind of ties into itself and the philosophy that if you have your principles set, a lot of the other smaller stuff doesn't really matter. And, and that was my number one takeaway from this podcast. So hopefully you guys get something out of this. Thank you guys for listening. All right, well, Coach, it's awesome to have you here. I'm excited to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your, your background, and kind of how you got into a world of sports performance? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up uh, right outside St. Paul, Minnesota, in a town called Egan, and played sports all growing up, um, basketball, football, baseball, and a little track. And um, I don't, even from a young age, I was always just fascinated with the human body and performance in general. Um, I think one thing that might have stopped when I was five years old, was like the first time I really was able to understand like watching a sport on TV and it was Randy Moss's rookie year. And I was like, that's awesome. Um, and it was obviously one of the, the greatest examples of all time. So that was cool for me just growing up, being able to watch Moss and KG on the Timberwolves and just being able to watch very high performers, both physically and mentally. Um, perform was, was awesome. And then as I started getting into, you know, high school playing sports myself, um, I actually had um, my sophomore year of high school, I had Spondy and had to miss the entire football season. And just the rehabilitation process from that was very interesting to me. And that kind of sparked, you know, not sparked, but um, doubled down on the like, okay, I'm, I'm very interested in the whole human body and human performance aspect of things. And then that led uh, right into school. Uh, undergrad, I went to St. Olaf and played football there. Exercise science undergrad. And on top of that, sought out as many opportunities as I could. I, mean, I think I was kind of lucky from the aspect of I knew that I wanted, I've known that I wanted to be this as a sports performance coach since I was, you know, probably 15 years old. And I just was like, all right, let's go for it. And was in undergrad, sought out some internships. I was able to get um, through some connections, like everything is. Um, interned with head strength coach for the Wild um, between my sophomore and junior year of undergrad. His name is Kirk Wilson. He's an awesome dude. Still talk with him all the time. And then in between my junior and senior year of undergrad, went and interned at uh, the University of Minnesota on the Olympic side. That was huge for me, both like from learning and being exposed to, um, high level coaches, but also looking back now, I'm like, man, I was such an idiot. <laughs> like probably some of the questions I asked or, you know, something like that. If I heard myself ask them now, I'd be like, you're so stupid. But, um, I was 19. So it was like, it was, it was good to almost like get those out of the way very early. But yeah, so then that, I had, you know, coming out of undergrad, I had two like full-time internships already in my, under my belt, which helped a ton leading right into uh, my master's. What my offensive coordinator in college was a Springfield grad 
uh, on the football side. And so he told me like, Hey, if you're trying to do strength and conditioning, like go to Springfield and so, okay. So looked more into it and applied, got in, started that, that, uh, next fall, right after I graduated undergrad, I knew I was not doing any sort of gap year or anything like that. I was like, all right, let's just get this, uh, let's go straight in. I'm already in education mode. Let's just keep it rolling. So it was, uh, it was fun to just hop right into that. Learned a ton at Springfield, uh, met a ton of coaches when I mean, there were like 12 of us. Uh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm, and my fiance is behind the laptop right now saying I met her as well. Cause we, we met in grad school and now we're getting married. So that's, that's fun. Um, strength coach couple. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so at Springfield, Loved it there. Met a lot of people and made a ton of great connections and was pushed um, mentally a lot, which was great. And I think one thing that helped. Um, so in the second year, like as a GA, I'm like running teams completely by myself. And, uh, you know, football, there was a couple of us doing it collaboratively. And then a couple other teams where I had just completely on my own. And our director there, he's uh, Dr. Thompson. He's the director there. And he did a great job of like, you know, he was good about helping us out and giving us direction where we needed it, but we had a ton of autonomy and, you know, essentially as I don't know, I was 23 or something like that. And I was basically just getting to, along with two of my other classmates run a college football team on our own at 22 years old and 23 years old, whatever it was. And looking back, it's like, there's some things in, what we did that we probably tweak and change, but you know, I came out of grad school with a full year plus under my belt of implementing things that were directly my ideas and, you know, kind of our ideas as a staff versus like, Oh, I kind of GA and just kind of implemented somebody else's stuff. And like that difference was huge. Um, but especially moving into, you know, my first gig, my first um, real gig at Nickel state, uh, with Greg Carasquillo down there where it was, you know, stepped into the back end of a, a football rebuild where it was like four years before I'd arrived, they went 0 and 12. And then my two years there, we went to the playoffs, both years were top 15 in the country, very successful uh, from a football standpoint. And, you know, I stepped right into that, that second, uh, that first year I was there when I stepped right in, it was, Hey, we're top 15 in the country. Like we're not, it wasn't like a, Oh, we can do a bunch of trial and error. Like it was like, Hey, we're, we're going to go win some ball games right now. Um, so having that experience in the, in my GA was, was huge because it allowed me to step right in and um, contribute positively right away versus being like, uh, I've just been saying yes and doing other people's programs for the last two years. So, uh, not being in that situation helped me moving forward. And then, I was at Nichols for two seasons down in Louisiana. And then I got up to UMass uh, with coach Shadid and coach bell January of 19. So we've had one full off season, one season, and then we had one winter and now we're kind of in this waiting period, but, but yeah, it's been great. Uh, kind of gone all over the country, met a whole bunch of people worked with, I mean, I've, I've worked with football everywhere I've been, but, worked with a ton of other sports. I have women's lacrosse here at UMass as well. They're a great squad. I love those girls. And, um, and it's kind of, it's funny. I've had people ask me like, Oh, you're kind of a football guy. It's like, well, I, I enjoy football because we get them year round and you get a ton of guys and there's a bunch of variability within the team of, you know, 330 pound dudes. And then you have 160 pound DBs and there's 
the variability in training that you need to provide is very interesting. But at the end of the day, I just love coaching athletes and finding solutions to performance problems. So, yeah. yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, connections, which you've brought up a couple of times, uh, I didn't realize we had this one, but my first coaching job was actually at St. Olaf. Oh yeah. Yeah. So right out of, uh, right out of, uh, college, I was doing a uh, assistant strength coach there and, uh, I was a defensive line coach. So that was my, that was my first coaching gig. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, my first two of the years there were, we were like top 25 and like really solid, Went like eight and two, seven and three, something like that. And then we had the coaching change and things went down a little bit as you've probably, you probably witnessed when you were still playing, but, um, but yeah, they're turning, they're turning around now, which is cool. But yeah, small world for sure. Yeah. And they're, they're kind of going through that, uh, football rebuild too. So it was kind of, it was kind of cool to see that other end, which you've mentioned, uh, I'm kind of interested in, you talked about how you got to implement your own ideas, uh, when you, when you mm-hmm. were at Springfield and how that was super beneficial to you. What, what was kind of the process for you of coming up with those own ideas? You, you know, like you're in that academic world for so long. And I think this mm-hmm. is where either GA or academic, like whatever path you take, I think for a lot of people, it is tough for them to come up with those own original ideas and none of it's original in quotations, but just kind of what you believe in and not what somebody else believes in or what somebody else is telling you. So what was kind of that process like for you? Yeah. I think a big, a big part of that is seeking out the underlying principles behind everything that's going on in order to then just make your own decisions. Because if you, you know, if you're just looking at the actual, what is the end product that's being put out in terms of, you know, what's being getting, what's being put across to the student athlete, then you're going to be missing the boat a lot, um, (laughs) I guess, or it's, you know, just figuring out the basal kind of, to use James Smith, the basal constituents, and then you can figure out things on your own, like understand physiology really, really, really well understand anatomy really, really, really well dive into biomechanics. That was one of the things for me where it was like, I had some biomechanics in like my formal education, but really diving into biomechanics helped out. Cause if you understand those and understand like interacting with athletes well, and then have the requisite knowledge to truly break down what are the demands of the sport, then, you know, you can figure out the, the rep schemes and the whatever, like that's easy. That's not, um, you know, uh, Hey, do we want to do three sets of five on back squat this week or five sets of four? Like those things, um, are going to come so easily when you understand like, okay, what are the biomechanical demands of playing tennis? Okay. Like if you're not starting there, then you're probably missing the boat on a lot of things. And then it ends up just being like, Oh, how did somebody else train tennis or, you know, whatever the sport is. So truly understanding like being on your shit enough to have the confidence to challenge somebody. If you think it's not being done the best way possible, you know, respectfully, obviously, but like if you don't have the, you know, the underlying understanding of those qualities to then like step in and be like, Hey, I think I see holes here, here, and here, and here, like then maybe you're not, maybe you don't understand it enough to actually implement it or in the, in the fullest way possible. <laughs> like, you know, maybe the, I'm, I'm even just kind of realizing this as I'm saying it, like maybe the best way to know if you understand a concept is like, would you be comfortable calling up whoever wrote it and 
challenging them on the points, you know? Um, and if no, like maybe dive in a little deeper. Um, so that is, that was one way, like not even worrying about like what, Hey, what did you do here? What did you do here? But worrying about like, okay, what is, what do we, what do we actually need to get these athletes ready to do? And then based off of, you know, just the laws of nature, how, what's the best way to get there. But then also like leaning on some of my classmates, especially at Springfield to like, some of my, like I was straight out of undergrad and I had some other classmates who had, you know, worked in the field and then were coming back to get a master's. So like leaning on them some too, if there were, you know, any sorts of like a little mental block on something and just like leaning on them and the people that were around me to help me out and guide me towards materials where even if they were already a couple steps ahead of me in terms of that, like basal knowledge, like, Hey, where did you, I want to learn more about hip biomechanics or whatever it is. What resources did you, what resources did you seek out um, to learn that kind of underlying knowledge? It's almost like asking more about resources than, you know, implementation specifically. Yeah. And I think that comes back to the quote that's been brought up a couple of times on this podcast already, but it's like, you have to learn the rules before you break them, you know, like before you start yeah. to challenge stuff and just start throwing crap at the wall, like you, you should have a foundation of knowledge to be able to challenge what you're trying to challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's almost like the, the, the mention, like, and this is something that I talk to a lot of coaches about is because you'll, you'll see it in our field where a lot of guys are very stuck in the weeds and they are arguing that is it the five by five or is it the three by five? And, and like you mentioned, like at the end of the day, like is our goal to argue about that or is our goal to get our athlete ready for the field or the court or the basketball, you know, like what, what is our goal? And there, there's many ways to get there. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's when I even kind of laugh. I, on social media specifically, I, don't really, I mean, I kind of put out my own ideas and engage with other people who I think are putting out really solid ideas, but I mostly do it privately. If I do have questions where it's, um, but some of that is, I guess, selfish where it's like, okay, I'm going to put out these ideas. If somebody has a, a really good, like, Hey, I think you could be doing this better type of thing. Mostly, usually those people are reaching out privately. Um, and then have those conversations and learn, but just like some people would just like go back and forth for like these tweet streams that pop up on my timeline. I'm like, who has the time to do that? Like if you guys want to argue about X, Y, and Z, you know, like somebody puts up some video, the Northwestern guy hopping around and then 10 different people argue for two hours about how it's bad for the field. And other people are like, let them do whatever. And I'm like, who cares? Just train your athletes. Like, and I understand it's kind of, you build up the profession overall, but I'm like, uh, just go train your athletes really well. And if you have questions about areas that you can be doing it better, seek out people who are, you think are doing it better than you. Um, and then that's ultimately what's going to impact on the student athlete. Cause that's, I don't know, for me, it's like the two things that we want to do at my job is like have a very solid, positive impact on the student athlete and their experience overall in, you know, working with, us as a staff and then win games. And so if, if, if something isn't fitting into, you know, number one or number two, like I'm just probably not going to engage much at all. So yeah, I agree where it's like, a, these arguments are probably aren't productive much. And it's like, who cares? Like, even if you are correct, like 
is it going to help your athletes get better? Probably not. Like go, you could have spent that 10 minutes FaceTime in one of your kids and just saying hi or something like that. So I don't know. It's just like being efficient with your time. And yes, there's value in interacting with other coaches for sure. Like I've, I've, that's one of the ways, that's one of the reasons I'm still active on social media is simply to, you know, find coaches to interact with, but then I end up DMing them and being like, what's your cell phone number? Let's talk or, you know, uh, cause those end up being, that's kind of how I got in contact with Nick. Uh, DeMarco was through that. And now we text and call all the time versus just being like liking his post and then being like, yeah, I kind of know Nick, like, no, that's not the way to do it. But sorry, that was off the, off the rails a little bit. But. <laughs> no, but that, I just, uh, I don't know. I literally this morning, I listened to Kobe talk about, um, he, he was saying his thing, like set your goal. And then if you're, if, every single one of your actions doesn't get you closer to that goal, then, then you need to eliminate those actions. And it's, it's a very like the coaching mindset of that. Like if those tweets, if that argument, if that thing isn't getting you closer to your two goals, which you said, which is win games, win games and have a positive impact on your student athletes. And like, why are we doing it? Like questioning the why behind our actions rather than just doing it. Agreed. And then the, the other thing that I'm really interested in is it seems like you are like you have an egoless approach to coaching. Like you, you are able to take a step back, um, process things a little bit farther. Is it, is that something you would say you were brought up with and you've just had, or it's something I'm interested in how, and hearing the story of how like some coaches develop that, uh, develop that egoless approach to coaching to where they're able to take that step back. was it something to where as a young gun, you were like, you had the ego and you got burned down and you're like, Oh crap. Like I need to take a step back. Like I don't know everything. Or was it always just that questioning mentality? I think I've always kind of had the questioning mentality of, I don't know, but I think also some of it is so I'm very, very, very results driven. And so, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to lose that game or not, or that athlete's going to have a, a, a very positive experience or they're not. So, if I have, if right now I possess the best way to get there, awesome. But if I don't, like, I need to find it and I need to seek out people who um, have it. And I don't know, part of that professionally that was driven in um, from my boss at Nichols, Greg Carasquillo. Um, he's the director there, where his was, you know, it wasn't just encouraging, you know, kind of constructive criticism and debate it was like demanding it. And like, if it was, if he brought up something and was like, Hey, should we be doing this, this, and this, or, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this and this with the linemen or whatever. And it was just like, yeah, sounds great. He'd be like, no, shut the fuck up. Like that's not the answer I was looking for. Um, where it was like, if you, you know, it was basically the best ideas were going to be implemented no, no matter who brought them up. And that was important. And that was, it was cool to see and empowering for me as a young coach where there were some little instances where maybe I did bring the best idea and it got implemented. And then there was a lot of other areas because he was much more experienced and smarter than me where they didn't get, you know, his stuff got implemented or not his ideas that we were brainstorming were more at the forefront because he knew it better than me. And it was like, cool. And at the end of the day, like the result was, you know, what's the best way to get where we want to go? I don't know, but even like looking further back, like I've always just been kind of a, I, I guess I grew up in a very analytical 
but it's like a, it's a weird, if you knew my parents, like my, my dad is a, a quantum supercomputer software engineer. And I've essentially spent my entire life. When people ask what my dad does, I go, I don't know stuff with computers. Um, but then my mom, you know, has a psychology degree and it worked in like social work with like, um, you know, underprivileged kids for a long time. So I get kind of this, it's funny, it's like my, this super analytical side and then it's like super like loving, caring, not to say my dad isn't, but, um, the, like those two realms where it was, um, you know, I had this, these two influences that were like, Hey, whatever you, it was like, whatever you choose to do, you're going to, you know, you're going to have the work ethic and find the, the the best path possible to be as good as possible in what you're doing. Like no matter what you're going to find, whatever you choose to do, like obviously my job is completely different from my dad's. My older brother is a, a cardiologist, which is completely different from what either of us do, but it's, you know, whatever you do decide, you're going to be the best at it. Um, and, and then also the other side of like, Hey, at the end of the day, like the people around you are the most important and how you interact with them and how you impact on them is still the most important part. Um, still kind of having those two sides of my upbringing was helpful as well. Um, cause looking at it, it's, uh, it's ultimately the, if I trace it back to like how it impacts on my whatever programs that I implement with athletes, it's like at the end of the day, what they are doing in terms of their performance training, they don't know who, whether the idea came from me or one of my interns or, you know, coach Adid or what they don't know. All they know is they're going to step on a field to play a game that they love. And it's, on us as a performance staff to put them in the best spot possible. So are you going to be the asshole that needs your ideas implemented? And then it means Johnny isn't quite as physically prepared for his game. And, you know, even at our level that could then lead into, you know, NFL careers and whatnot. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. When you like really step back and look at it, like if you asked, whatever, if you look, Think about like the grand scheme of football or whatever, if it was on college game day, like, Hey, these couple strength coaches were arguing about who's whatever speed drill was better. Um, no, they're not talking about that shit. They're talking about like, Hey, Trevor Lawrence can zing this thing around the field. Um, so it's like realizing what's actually important and making sure that, you know, the end goal is being accomplished, you know, getting back to those kind of two main goals of positive athlete experience and then winning games and realizing that, doesn't matter that it doesn't matter who the, uh, the ideas are coming from. Um, you know, especially in a sports performance role, even if you go out and go freaking 12 and 0 and go to the playoff or whatever, it's like, nobody's coming back and being like, Hey, that assistant sports performance coach, like he's the man, like that doesn't, that doesn't matter anyway. So it's not even like if you, if, if you were some ego maniac who wanted that attention, it's like, you picked the wrong job, dude. Um, but, but yeah, it was, uh, it's a combination of my upbringing, but then also it's been fostered in every job I've been in, starting with Greg and then even more so maybe with Kosha D, uh, both in just me and his interactions, but then also across our whole, our whole department um, of all the other performance coaches that work with our other teams where it's like, yeah, me and Kosha D are directly responsible for football, um, but 
we have other performance coaches in our department who might have better ideas than us on some stuff, you know, like AC who does the podcast with me, he works with men's lax and women's soccer and softball at UMass. And a lot of our network that we introduce with our football guys is from him because he had better ideas than us. And it was like, Hey, um, you've been doing some good shit with the neck stuff with your lacrosse guys. We want to hear about that. And it was implemented with us the next week because it was better than the things that we were coming up with. So at the end of the day, our guys, did our guys next get stronger than they would have because of those ideas? Probably because they were better than ours. And so it wasn't, it wasn't about, Oh, well, let's just come up with the best way that we can do it so that we can say we did it. Like, no, we need to push these guys to where the best possible spot they can be in, I guess. Yeah. And I think the, one of the important things that you mentioned, it's like almost like the, the detachment from the idea and the program, like uh, that, that idea and program doesn't define who you are, you know, like that's where I think a lot of people like they, they, they get stuck with that. Maybe, maybe it was a neck exercise and it seems small, but like they came up with that exercise. So like, that's part of their ego. That's part of their pride. So they need that in their program because that's who they are. And well, like you said, if you're able to take a step back and realize like, that's, that's like not, that's not who you are. That's so stupid to think that way. But like, it is like, how a lot of programs get pushed out there. Yeah. We, we joke all the time because um, Shadid puts up a bunch of uh, our football guys training on his Instagram, you know, throughout the the year of whether it is, you know, winter, spring ball, summer, in season, whatever. And if it's like a, if he puts up a video of somebody cleaning, he gets his DMs light up with like, Oh, are you guys a big Olympic lifting program? And then if he puts up a, whatever he might put up a video of some of our guys doing some like FRC hip work and he gets hit up with like, oh, are you guys like an FRC program? Like, oh, it's like, what? Like these were on the same day. Or, you know, they might've even been on the same day, but people just like, oh, are you this type of program? Are you this type of program? It's like, we're just, no, it's like, we're going to, sometimes we Olympic lift a ton in certain phases. Sometimes not at all. Sometimes we're, you know, everybody sees us squatting on the wedge boards all the way to depth every time. And then there are three week phases of the summer where we're quarter squatting with bands and chains and we never go anywhere near to full depth. Um, and people, you know, it's like, we're not, you know, we're not a system. We're not a, you know, we have overarching principles that we work from, but at the end of the day, it's like, we're just trying to go put these guys in the best spot to win some football games. And, um, that's, it's funny when people almost like it to be, a nice clean, like, Oh, are you guys like an Olympic lifting program? Or are you guys, uh, you do, do you guys do a, f- a lot of functional work? And it's like, let me just, yes. Sometimes all of that is in, sometimes none of it is in We're just figuring out what our players need, um, to go execute on the field. Yeah. You're a program that keeps all the tools in a toolbox, which I think every program should be able to do. And I think this applies to your everything affects everything approach. Cause you mentioned like everybody wants it nice and clean, but, like even like when you, you've talked about this or posted stuff about this, you, you see that it's not nice and clean. Coach uh, Cameron Josh was talking about how it's a, it's a very complex system and you never know how one small thing here is going to affect greatly something on the other side of the chart. So can you kind of talk about your everything affects everything approach and how you go about laying that out with your athletes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's actually been a huge part of our, some of our talks about how we're going to, you know, eventually return from all this. Um, but so these, some of these topics have been on the front of my brain the last few days, which is, um, basically, I mean, 
there are four, I mean, looking at it from kind of the collective perspective, you know, the four main physical tech, tech, psych, coactives, obviously it's our job to impact and maximize the physical as much as possible. And then depending on what your head coach expects from you, the psychological might be fall, fall well under your realm as well. And, you know, doing both of those in such a way that you're um, supporting the technical and tactical objectives of your coaches the best way possible. Like an example we've used before, we, this past season, what like to, we wanted to play like on offense, like pretty fast, like snapping the wall pretty fast. We weren't a very big team, um, but we had some pretty decent skill players and it was like, okay, let's, you know, let's try to utilize this as much as possible. Whereas like, um, so we didn't necessarily worry too much about, let's get our linemen huge and beefy. It was like, Hey, we want these guys moving well and all that. Whereas if we want, if we did that for, took that same approach to, whatever Paul Chris's Wisconsin team, he'd be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like we, we want to be able to run for 400 yards a game. Like, so even within the, like, yes, those are both football teams, but even within the realm of like your physical has to be supporting the technical and tactical objectives of your head coach is um, crucial because it allows you to, um, you know, spend, spend time in the right areas um, and emphasize the right areas. I mean, this game is still football, so there's going to be some overarching principles, but, you know, allows you to be more specific in certain areas. Um, but even, you know, stepping back a little bit is for one, uh, one thing that we've been thinking about in terms of how this, you know, summer is going to be different from normal is, you know, normally we get our true freshmen in sometimes summer one, some summer two, you know, at least four weeks before we jump into like football. And so they're getting the stressor of I'm away from home. I'm now figuring out this college campus. Where do I, where's my class? Where's my dorm? Like that is a huge stressor. Um, like what's this new drill that my running backs coach is telling me about? Like, Oh, I've never heard of that. Like that stressor, like what is this? I'm sitting in a film room and he's, I'm supposed to be breaking down this defense I'm looking at, like, but I've never saw that in high school. Like all those stressors are at least somewhat like dabbled in across like a summer, like, Hey, beginning of summer, you're away from home, but we're pretty much just working out. So, okay. And then you start sprinkling some meetings maybe. So you get introduced to the technical and tactical stress of different things. And then, obviously the big dump is like the start of camp where then it's like, all right, here we go. Go time. And even just like some of the, the cultural and like psychological stress of, you know, you're the true freshman and you haven't met any of your teammates. You don't know like who in my position group is, you know, warm and going to talk to me and help me out when I have little things to worry about. And who's the, who's the complete asshole. That's not going to give me the time of day, like figuring out those sorts of things from a, just like a social perspective on the team is huge. And now depending on what this summer and season looks like, they might be getting every single one of those stressors on day one. And it's going to, and it's, if you just disregard that fact and are like, Hey, here we go. Let's go. Let's go learn this new drill. Like they're not worried about that. They're, 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 this might be the first time they're, they're ever away from home. Like, and, Obviously, that even in normal years, that's still a factor. 
but it's like, okay, all we usually get to spread those out over a couple months, all those different inputs, and they might all hit on the same day this year. And if your kid is worried about his first time away from home, it, are his teammates assholes to him? Are his, you know, what's this new offense? What's these new drills? How, where's my dorm at? Like all these things. And then you're like, all right, conditioning test day one. No duh, you're going to have a bunch of injuries. And, you know, unfortunately that's going to probably be what happens in a lot of programs. And then people are going to be like, well, looks like you didn't do a bunch over break. And it's like, uh, or you could just, you know, look, actually look at the whole picture. Um, and you know, that was a, a kind of a specific example with freshmen, but it, I mean, it, it applies to everything. Like where it applies to, you know, even your fifth year senior where, you know, maybe that being away from home stress isn't as big for him and that's okay. Cool. Maybe that, maybe he knows the offense like the back of his hand and that's not a big stressor for him. Great. Um, but he might be now worrying about, is he, what's his job going to be after school? You know, just like there's always something else going on and either you can ignore it or account for it. And, um, even if you're accounting for it, it might mean that you don't change. It might not mean you change anything. It might mean, Hey, this kid's going to have a lot more stress on his system and that's okay. We're just going to account for it. And, you know, interject regeneration and downtime when we can. Um, but it's just, it's silly to just put your head in the sand and be like, oh, 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 who cares? Um, I guess this pops up from like a, a physical and technical tactical standpoint in the summer. I was just talking about this with uh, Kurt Hester the last week where everybody in the world for college football, their, their guys, at least their skill players are, you know, doing seven on sevens in the summer, one-on-ones, DBs and receivers, throwing balls in the quarterbacks. Everybody does it and they should be, they're getting ready to play football. They need to play football. Even if it's not, you know, like being led by coaches because of NCAA rules and whatnot, but you can say, Oh, like, obviously it's happening. Like the, don't create your own reality. Like that work and that input on the system is happening, whether you like it or not. So you can say, Hey, like, I've, talk to people at programs where it's like, Hey, Monday and Thursday are high days where we're doing a bunch of sprint work and some, you know, some high neurological weight room work Tuesday, Friday, are a little lower. And when Wednesday is like a true regeneration day and their guys were running seven on seven on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm like, you're saying those are low days, but they're not like, you're just ignoring reality. And so, you know, maybe it means you, if you, if you don't want to change it at all, you can say, cool, but you better recognize the reality is you're doing five high days in a row. And well, you know, even if it's not in crazy volumes or whatever, but like, you know, that's one thing we did last summer. It was like, all right, we're going to do, you know, what days, are you guys going to do seven on sevens? Like things like that, or like their player led practice, which we're able to help them like script out a little bit. Um, so it was like, Hey, you're going to do them on this day and this day at this time. And so we knew exactly when it was happening. We incorporated it into the program so that, you know, on our Thursdays that were super low days for us, they weren't out 
running 50 routes, you know, and maybe they incorporated some little just like ball drills or low intensity skill work, but just recognizing that you can bury your head in the sand and say, I'm going to get done what I'm going to get done in this program and whatever, screw everything else. Maybe that's probably not the best way to go. Um, because like we said, everything is tied into everything and you can, you can have this pretty blueprint of, you know, this high day and this low day and this max V and acceleration and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, Oh, on your regen day, uh, your receivers ran a hundred routes each and now they're toasted for your quote unquote max V day. Like, so, um, trying to account for as much as possible, you know, that's even some of our talks about when we're coming back, like, okay, yeah, we'll get into the specifics when we have the plan of like, Hey, you're going to get, six weeks and the first two were just strengthening it, whatever those details end up being from the NCAA. We'll dive into those weeds when we get there. But even just looking at like priorities of when we come back, you know, number one is probably going to be providing these guys a consistent sleep schedule and providing them consistent meal times. And, you know, just starting from those like big rocks of, you know, if they're, if they're falling asleep at the same time every day, uh, or provided the same window of sleep every day and provided similar, just like getting their body into a routine. And then, and then we can worry about layering in like, you know, specific positional drills and all that, that everybody's going to try to worry about way too quickly. Um, just like looking at it from a purely holistic standpoint um, where it's like, okay, let's, what's actually going to truly impact on our performance. And then, working back from there versus just immediately diving into like, well, how many, how, obviously we're going to have to tweak what we do physically with them. That's a, you know, probably a, a given. We're not going to step out on day one and hit 18 periods and full pads. You know, we could, and then our injury list would look like a CVS receipt, but um, you know, really stepping back and being like, okay, what's important in terms of, getting these guys back to where we need to be in order to, you know, be successful in some football games. Yeah. It's basically like there's, there are going to be some things that we can't control outside stressors in guys' lives or, you know, there are, there's two huge lists of things we can control, things we can't control. And then putting, you know, control, making plans for the things that we can control to the best of our ability to help our guys out. And then, but not just disregarding the things we can't control, um, you know, organizing them or incorporating them or making, you know, contingency plans for them in such a way that you're accounting for them, even if they can't be controlled and you're not just sticking your head in the sand and being like, well, I guess these guys are going to run routes whether we like it or not. So let's just, who cares? Like, no, like, even if you can't control it, you can account for it. Yeah. And that's the, the biggest thing there is just realizing like, no matter what it is, stress is stress. And it, it adds into your cup of water, you know, like if you're overfilling or you're burnt out by the end of the day, like taking into account everything and then controlling and taking back off what you can control. If you can't control them running routes, like what can you control? Maybe it is the sets and reps and be able to draw off of that. And I think that's one of the main, like, jobs as a strength coach is where we're the number one, like we're the middle ground in between the sport coach and the athlete or the middle ground in between being the communicator about what all this stress means and then communicating with the athlete, communicating with the sports coach about 
how important that is, how important it is not to be running seven on sevens on your low days and switching everything and communicating why we're switching stuff. And then with the sport coaches, like communicating with them. Yes. It's awesome. We have our full football team back. That does not mean day one, we do 18 periods full pads because we're all hyped up. Yeah, for sure. And we even, I guess an, an important point too, is, um, it's not, it's not that just because something comes up, it means you throw the plan out the door. Um, for example, with our, we had a, a week this past season where one of our better receivers was a, on our on a Tuesday practice racked up like 1500 more yards or it might've even been like 2000 more yards than any other receiver. And we were like, what's going on there? And then we looked and, you know, tried to get as much context as possible and realized, you know, is, uh, one of the other guys at his position had like slightly tweaked his ankle, like five minutes into practice. And so was giving him extra reps and, and then somebody else like got a stomach bug that day or it was something like that. And so, um, but the reality was, um, we were shorthanded enough at that position that it was like, Hey, you know, it could have been easy to be like, Hey, tomorrow we got to shut him down, do nothing. Like, but the reality was in order to have a productive practice, we needed that kid to still get a decent amount of work the next day. So instead of, you know, so that was the, obviously you might be like, Oh, you got to shut them down on a Wednesday. Well, our receivers coach would have told us to fuck off. Um, so, cause we need, and that wouldn't have been optimal for, to set us up for Saturday's game. Cause we needed that kid to provide us a good practice environment. And um, so he had, a, you know, went out and had a good practice on Wednesday and we just accounted for it in areas that we could account for it where when he came in for his Thursday lift, it was, you're not lifting today. You're doing this recovery circuit. And, you know, and it wasn't like everybody else on the team was like, Ooh, well, why isn't he lifting? They were, it was like, Hey, he racked up 7,500 yards on Tuesday. So he's going to chill over there for a little, for a couple of minutes while you guys do your quick lift. Like, and if you have the right culture in place, it wasn't like any of our guys were like, Hey, it was just like, Oh yeah. Like whatever. That's what he needs to do. So it was, you know, even if something goes goofy, it doesn't mean you have to, I feel like the, the, some things have gone too far in the opposite direction of like, you know, the, the stereotype, stereotype of like the, the strength coach who's pulling up the catapult reports is like, Hey, they're telling, they're going to tell us we did way too much and we can't do anything tomorrow and blah, blah, blah. It's like, there are some instances where that might be true, but there are also some instances where it was like, Hey, we need this kid uh, for practice. Cause we need a, you know, we need him to get these looks and we need him to see these different defensive looks and whatever. Um, so the option of, Hey, we're going to pull back his loads today was not an option. So then it's like, okay, where else in our week can we account for it? And, you know, we pulled back on Thursday from him and inserted a little extra regeneration when we got to the hotel on Friday night, like just little things. And then he went out and felt great. And you know, his outputs on Saturday were, in line with what we see and, you know, kind of a typical week for him. So it was like, okay, cool. Like it doesn't mean if you see something goofy in one area, it doesn't mean you got to throw out the boat and be, you know, like, Oh, it's finals week. So, you know, cognitive load is super high for our athletes. It doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden do nothing in every other realm. You just have to account for it and insert maybe a little extra stress relief or regeneration where you can. Um, and just, looking, looking at the whole picture and it doesn't mean, you know, one spike in one area doesn't mean you have to all of a sudden go to zero in every other area, but I mean, you know, got to count for it somewhere. 
Yeah. And we had Scott Kuhn on the podcast and he was, he had a whole podcast on data science and how he uses it. And he was mentioning, mm-hmm. he mentioned the same thing. He's like, you still have to be a coach. So you still have to use the art of coaching and all this does is allow you to communicate and allows you to see things, but it does not just, it doesn't take your job away. Like it just, Oh, that spike, like computer shuts them down, that type of thing. It's like, like you said, you have to be an art, like you have to be an artist through your coaching. You have to be smart about what you're doing. You have to realize the situation that you're in and then how can we adapt it? But this data allows you to do that. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the, the last thing that I want to talk a bit to you about in the sports performance round is kind of the, the game speed stuff that you've talked about. And I've seen you mention this a couple of times, but talking about the, the, the skill set, and a lot of times it's a double skill set of the, the tactical skill set or technique skill set of the, the sport itself. And then also of sprinting or running or grappling or what you have to do in that instant and being able to do these problems like unconsciously and just be able to solve solutions without thinking about it. Like, Oh, I have to think about my knee angle at this part. I have to think about dribbling the soccer ball. Can you kind of dive into how you go about that and why you think that's so important. Yeah. Um, a big, I don't know, sort of a, a kind of an, excuse me, an aha moment for me was, um, and think of even in the, in the name it's game speed. So it's like, okay, how does, how does your speed get implemented in the game? How are you able to, um, you know, produce your skills in a tactical environment at high speeds. And for a lot of field-based sports, you know, sorry, any swimming coaches listening, but um, for, you know, field-based sports where it might not be the most impactful on the outcome, but it is most certainly the most used skill from a volume standpoint is sprinting. And looking at it, shifting your lens to like sprinting as a skill and, you know, speed is an innate biomotor quality. Sprinting is a skill and it's one way that you express that quality. Um, so when you look at it in terms of, you know, if you look at it from just the speed perspective, like, like the specific post where it's Mbappe dribbling, okay, Mbappe has a lot of speed. And so he's able to dribble with a bunch of speed. And yes, that is true. He's very fast. Um, but it's also, he's a, he is so good at the scale of sprinting that basically if you want to be, if you want to perform two skills at the same time, you better be really, really good at both of them. You know, and that applies to probably anything where if I'm the best at something in the world, and horrible at something else. If I try to do them together, I'm going to probably not, I'm going to probably be somewhere in the middle uh, and not look very good. But if I'm at least at some requisite level of skill for, you know, dribbling a soccer ball and I'm a world-class sprinter, then those two are probably going to go together. Or if I'm at some requisite level of sprinting shapes and, you know, hind brainedness in my sprinting and I'm the, highest level of, you know, ball handler in the world in basketball, those probably are going to go pretty well together. So looking at sprinting as from the skill perspective, kind of helped shape uh, my thoughts on that, where it was, it's not just, Oh, how can we perform these skills as fast as possible? Specifically when we're talking about, um, you know, kind of running based field sports, how can we perform? How can they be better at creating a lacrosse stick while they're sprinting full speed uh, or how can we do these skills at high speed? And it's not necessarily 
yes, you need to be good enough at the skills that they're able to be performed at, you know, a high speed. Absolutely. But looking at it from the lens of, you know, how can we perform two skills at the same time? And you need to be really good at both of them. And so that is, that kind of shift was helpful for at least my own thought process where it's like, okay, if, if so-and-so isn't, um, isn't adept at sprinting in a, by itself, of course, it's not going to look great when you add in anything else. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the flip side, if you're not great at whatever, dribbling a basketball yeah if i ask you to then go run while you're doing it you're also you're not going to be great at that um and so building up building up both skills to the highest level that you can is great and then obviously there then becomes the the melding of them um but it's almost like the i don't know the the for, i go back and forth on this and i don't have the answer by any means but it's like if we it's like really is there somebody who's like okay this guy's super adept at one area okay call it the sprinting this kid's got beautiful shapes he was a 100 meter dash state champion in high school and now we get him and he's a db or whatever um and but he's not seeming he's not really putting it together when he's covering somebody you know and it's like oh he doesn't have the the game speed it's like well is his technique at covering the guys horrible if it if it is you know or then it's not just the two skill perspectives i would the the, the game speed is exhibiting it in a tactical environment so then that comes into is he able to you know read his environment is he um you know did he not get to the, did the linebacker not get to that tackle because he's slow or did he just read the wrong thing and so he took a step the opposite way you know things like that which you know isn't necessarily in our realm a ton um but it can be it's it's at least a good thing to account for when like you're you know maybe breaking down a season at the end of the season and saying okay where do we need to improve it, it's easy to just um i think you talked about this with cam joss it's easy to just be like physical 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 and you know look our safety isn't getting to this ball because he's not fast enough and it's like well maybe it's because he thought it was gonna be a a nine and the receiver ran an eight or whatever um you know there are things like that and this kind of guess this ties back into the everything affects everything but it's um for at least our our realm of the the game speed is i just i don't know i almost simplify it down to like how can we perform our sports skills at the highest speed possible in a competitive environment? How can we as the performance staff impact on that? And number one, in terms of at least our effect on the athlete from our um, realm is give them high, high level unconscious sprinting skills. And then we can work with technical tactical coaches to help kind of meld that zone and that, that bridge. But if you don't, if you don't, it's like, we're trying to perform these two skills at a very high level. And if you're just, if you're super shitty at one of the skills, you're not going to do them well together ever. So you better get good at both of them individually. And then you can start to do that, that gap bridging. Um, but if you're just, just going to be beating your head against the wall 
if you're like, man, this kid isn't, he's not fast when he dribbles. It's like, well, he's, um, it's cause he's not as adept at sprinting. So maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, he's not as adept at sprinting. So when you introduce another skill, his sprinting goes to shit and it's, you know, recognizing that high, high level performers are able to they have both of those skills at such an unconscious level that when they do get mixed together, both of them stay at a pretty high level. And, you know, there's probably going to be somewhat of a drop off, but, um, you know, do like, even in that post, Mbappe's sprint shapes look a little bit different when the ball's introduced, but they look better than most people do without a ball. And it's like, you know, yes, he has an unbelievable nervous system that allows him to exhibit that speed, but he's also clearly super adept at the skill of, you know, ground-based sprinting. And he is then able to carry that into the, you know, when another skill is introduced. Yeah. And I think that's uh, I love the way you put it because uh, Nick uh, DeMarco talks about uh, building a speed reserve and talking about all the reserves, like building the speed reserve. And then what mm-hmm. I feel like you're kind of talking about is building that skill reserve of the sport. Let's building that technical and tactical reserve. And then when it comes to the sport, you're able to combine those two reserves a little bit and the athlete one, I think the biggest thing, and I, I know for sure what the technical and tactical part of it is, is a lot of it's like even the confidence of they, they play so much faster relating to some of the defensive linemen that have coached. They're confident in a move. They're confident in something like that. And they're because they're technically or tactically have worked on it, then their speed is a lot to show, you know, like they're able to open up just a little bit because they're, they're confident in, they, they have that technical and tactical reserve a little bit rather than like what you said, where if they don't have that, they can sprint as fast as they want at that offensive lineman. And they're just going to get pancaked and look slow or look like non-explosive off the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way you put that too. I've never, I guess I'd never thought of it in the the, the phrasing of a, a skill reserve, but I like how you put that. Yeah, I'm trying to keep, and this, I just, I always draw pictures, especially when, I don't know, if it's just drawing the picture and they keep in that, like the sport is the time that we almost keep that, like that's where we combine it all. And the, the we have one end, we have one end, the sport is where we combine it all. And hopefully if we have that athlete, I'm just thinking about an athlete that I had that he had that straight line speed. He was He was like the second fastest on the team in our laser time. So like we have all these times, we have all this data and we talk to the coaches and he talks about how he doesn't have that game speed. Like we mentioned with a lot of athletes we have that issue. So he has that sprinting skill set. And now with the four coactive model, I think we, we spend less time in the physical of the sprinting and more time building up that skill reserve and that tactical and technical ability. And I think that's where one thing that I've been starting to think about is how do, how do we move around that four coactive model to where we're spending more of our time on what the actually athlete needs? And I think a lot of, I think a lot of athletes, and I don't want to get away from that. I think a lot of athletes, it still is the physical part, especially with my level of division oh, yeah. three athletes. Like you still have the high school. And I don't want to get away from that. Like I think a lot of it still is the physical part, but you get a kid like that where he is fast, but now he's not the game speed. Like where are we going to spend our time now? Mm-hmm. For sure. And then we can and realizing it's going to be, you know, it's going to be different across, across, players like you could have two dbs who are in the same bucket of like man they're just they're not exhibiting the skills in the game or they're not exhibiting the speed in the game and the reasons why might be completely Completely different different. and in order to maximize you know and actually impact change on those two different players like you need to identify those reasons yeah so yeah like you mentioned like you could have both of those two work on their sprinting form all off season 
and one's going to get much better because that was his weakness. And the other guy's going to still go out there and get burned by the wide receiver. Yeah. So we can, we can transition into rapid fire round. That was, uh, that was exactly the rabbit hole that I was looking forward to diving into. So that was awesome. I'm looking to Good. write a bunch of notes, but rapid fire round. The first question is your kind of favorite books that have kind of got you to the point you are at now through some of this thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say governing dynamics of coaching. James Smith uh, would be number one. Um, and then I forget the exact names um, because I think I probably swiped them. Maybe not legally on PDF, but um, the there are a couple of Francis books. One of them was like Elite Concepts or Key Concepts Elite Edition, I want to say. is a Francis book that kind of goes over his like big ideas, you know, that, um, from a CNS perspective. And then <clears throat> game change is really good. Fergus Connolly. I mean, we've been mentioning kind of the collective model. Um, I'd say peak performance by, uh, Magnus and Stolberg is fantastic. Sorry. I'm, if you wanted this to be one book, but, um, I'm saying several, but yeah, Magnus and Stolberg peak performance is very good. Cause it just looks at dispels some, you know, some of like the hardo myths of, you know, like, uh, just grind and grind and grind. It's like, Oh no, you want to actually get the results. It's not about, you know, stop glorifying this, you know, stop glorifying. This as like some sort of crazy grind doing it's like, you just do the work and then you get the results. And, you know, if you love what you do, whatever you work, you can work 16 hours a day. And if you just truly love it and then take care of yourself on the back end, like, you're going to be okay. If you hate what you do, you know, working two hours a day is going to be shitty, but yeah, those are, those are solid books right there. I like that. I'm going to have to dive into that peak performance book. I just saw the rugby strength coach. He posted something about waking up early in the morning and he's like, it's about the work that you get done, not about when you do it. I, I thought that was such a cool point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in the middle of the winter, uh, when we had a 6am group, I would be awake at 430 every morning and in the office by, you know, five, I live pretty close. So I'd be, you know, awake in the office getting shit done. And, but, you know, during this whole quarantine thing, when everything's been online, if I don't have a zoom until 10 AM, maybe I sleep in a little bit, but I'm working a little bit more on the later at night to get my stuff done. Like as long as the work gets done, it like, glorifying some schedule is silly yeah and the next question who's a guest that you think we should have on and this is kind of this is this is how we got you on to nick demarco but kind of how we've grown the the ties of this podcast Mm -hmm. um i mean two i would say anybody from umass sports performance shameless plug but um i mean andrew cormier is one of my close buddies he works with men's lax women's soccer and softball I was, you know, when I was looking for, but he does a, an incredible job of melding the uh, technical and tactical with the physical, especially with his soccer team and does a great job with that. Uh, uh, Shadid would blow the, blow the doors off this thing. So um, he, I mean, you get him rolling. He's, he's an unbelievable human being and speaker. Um, so he'd be great. Let's see any like obscure ones that, I don't know. I'll, I'll leave it with those two. That's good. I, I, I think this podcast needs more shameless plugs like that. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if we, 
we're not trying to hire jackasses at UMass. So <laughs> if I, if I didn't feel comfortable plugging any of them, I'd, you know, maybe we should rethink our hiring process, but yeah, anybody from UMass or performance, they'd be great on this. Perfect. And the next question, what's kind of next for you? Maybe it's like a one-year goal. Maybe it's a five-year goal. Maybe it's just getting back from this quarantine, but what's kind of the next big step for you? Um, I'll get yelled at if I don't say this, I'm getting married next summer. So <laughs> there we go. Step. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> but I think one thing that we're definitely focused on in the immediate is making sure that we, as the professionals put por- put forth, um, an intelligent enough plan that when our student athletes come back from whatever this break looks like, whatever a season is going to look like that we are we can honestly look them in the eye and say, this plan is built to optimize you as the individual and as the team and not use any sort of excuses of just like, well, they came back and weren't in great shape. So some of them got hurt. Like, no, that's not acceptable. And I'd say that's probably the, the, the thing that's on the, the front of my brain most every day is putting forth a plan for these guys in such a way that they know we have their best interest in mind, both as a human being and as a football player. So that, you know, when we do, whenever our first game is that when we're stepping on the field for a warmups of that game, it's, you know, all the, all our guys are healthy and available for that game. And they all know that we as the coaching staff did whatever we could in our power to put them in that position and didn't just, you know, do some dumb shit that, you know, maybe if we did, you know, we, we think we planned out a pretty solid training camp last fall where, you know, our head coach leans on us in terms of periodizing practice and all that. Like he already leans on us pretty heavily for that. And we're lucky for that. But if we just did that camp again, guys would explode because, you know, so it's not, it's realizing that, you know, even if we did a, good job in the past like things are different now and one thing that I think is helpful going back to even like education to start like this is an unprecedented situation where there is no there are no past experiences to go off of because nobody's had a pandemic like this or any sort of like hiatus like this happening and so my dad said it right away as this whole thing was starting was you know you're going to learn who is truly living their life based off of principles that can be applied to any situation. And you're also going to learn who has just been copying past examples because the people who have the principles are going to come back from this. And is the plan going to be perfect? No, but if you've, it's going to be, you know, close and easily trial and error and people who have just been copying past situations, which in coaching, unfortunately is a lot. And even at some of the highest levels, um, they're going to get exposed. And unfortunately it's going to be at the expense of the student athlete. And so it's imperative on us to realize that we might be implementing something this coming season that doesn't look like any football season that's ever happened. And so it means practice might look different Our lifting schedule, whatever, like it, it, it's all going to potentially look different and we need to be okay with that and use our knowledge and seek out knowledge in areas where we are deficient to make sure that we're putting our student athletes in the best possible position um, to be healthy and then succeed in whatever the season ends up looking like. 
Yeah. And using the obstacle as the way, not the obstacle as the excuse. Absolutely. And the next question, and this is when kind of the, the, the whole coaching thing is kind of over. Um, maybe it's in 40 years, but what do you kind of want your legacy to be through this coaching process, through this career of yours? I think any student athlete that I've worked with is have them look back and say that I always had their best interest in mind for sure. And if I can say that and say, okay, we're in a, we were in a good spot. And that means, you know, taking care of them as human beings in whatever way that is appropriate for us to do. Um, but then also like truly diving in and providing them the best possible experience they can, uh, that I can for, um, the time that I'm with them. And that means, you know, if, if whatever, you know, taking care of them as human beings and caring about them and what's going on in their lives and their academics and what they want to do next after school and all that. And also like diving in so deep on whatever training that I'm affecting is at the highest possible level um, because kids are smarter than we give them credit for. And they know when you're just kind of giving a little bit of giving some training along the way and it's like, yeah, and go for it. And like, they're smarter than we give them credit for. And they know when you're just kind of bullshitting your way through. And so like really looking at is the, the, you know, the two goals are have a positive experience on the student athlete and win as many games as possible. Are my actions leading us toward you know, closer to that? Um, you know, even during this like time away from our guys, it's like, um, you know, I've had a, gotten to the end of a week and it's been like, I did not, you know, I didn't, maybe I learned a million different things. And I sat in like the week I sat in on that Bush X Snyder performance seminar. And I learned a million different things. I was like, that's awesome. And at the end of the week, I realized like, man, I probably should have like FaceTimed a couple more of our guys a little more or things like that and reached out. And then, you know, so just being aware of both ends of those spectrum of, of that spectrum, I guess, but then they're not even, sometimes it's talked about like, they're so separate, like, um, you know, Oh, you got to care about what they are away from care about them as human beings. And before you care about them as the athlete. And it's like, yes, a hundred percent. But sometimes those are much, those two things are very close. And it just means like in any way that you can impact on the athlete or, or that individual in any way that you can impact on them, you're doing it at the highest possible level. And, um, you know, so I think if I had to boil it down, I would say, you know, if I had to talk to any one of my former athletes, it'd be, you know, coach Joel always had my best interest in mind. And if I can say that, I'll be happy. I love it. And then the last question of the podcast before we're done, uh, this is kind of your billboard message for somebody. Maybe it, maybe it was in a similar situation to you where, when you were hurt and had to skip that football season, but kind of your billboard message for somebody that's in a Valley, uh, to keep going forward, to get to the level you're at They're They're kind of in that low spot right now, but they, they want to get to where you're at. What's kind of your billboard message for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say identify everything that in your situation that you can control and control it to the highest level that you can, everything that you can't control. I mean, account for it, but don't spend brain space on it after that. Um, I think a lot of people, not just in coaching or whatever, even just like random other people in my life, like spend so much time on brain space. That is so much brain space on things that are completely out of your control. And it's like, that's just wasted time. 
And, you know, so identifying whatever is happening, whatever situation is going on, identify what can you control and then control it to the highest level that you can and realize that, you know, no external circumstances can impact on your own mindset unless you allow them to. And that's actually, I mean, I have, uh, that's half of my tattoo sleeve is, um, to, uh, uh, the opening line of it as well is like basically when it's when peace strike a river attendeth my soul when sorrows like sea billows roll. And it's basically like if shit's going well or shit's going horrible, like that does not affect who you are as a human being. Um, and it doesn't affect who you are at the core unless you allow it to. And like whatever the external circumstances are, identify what you can control, control it to the highest level that you can. And then things are going to fall where they may. And you can at least at the end of the day, look back and say, I did everything I could. I did everything I could to, you know, put, you know, put a positive impact on the situation. Yeah. That's one of our head coaches. He's one of his main sayings that uh, I've taken to heart is control the controllables. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Control the controllables and then realize what's not controllable and don't spend all day worrying about it. (laughs) Yeah. I love the, uh, the, the brain energy energy. That's such a good point because the people that are able to move forward and, uh, I just where you, you hear a lot of people like, Oh, that person's so productive. That person's so creative. That's like, how to have that much energy. And it's, because they're putting that towards like what matters, you know, like that, that's why they're able to make a change or it's not, I think the biggest thing is they're eliminating the wasting of energy. It's not that they have so much more. It's just that they're wasting so much less. A hundred percent. Yeah. Most people who are looking to be more productive in their lives would be at, would be better to ask themselves, what am I currently doing that I no longer need to be doing versus what am I not doing that I need to start doing? Yeah. The, the, the anti-fragile is the via negativity. Yeah. Uh, like it's better to eliminate than to add. Yeah. Boom. Coach, we did it. Podcast is done. We crushed it. Good stuff. Thank you for being on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. I always love, you know, getting to meet the coaches that I've met and, uh, talk some job. Boom. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood.